You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. Well, greetings and welcome to the Steve Day Show podcast edition on Westwood One, powered by CRTV. My name's Aaron McIntyre, along with Todd Erzin. We are the part of the Steve Day Show that is not, in fact, Steve Dace, because Steve is traveling right now. He's in the air on his way to Dallas to be on Glenn Beck's program tomorrow to formally announce The Blaze and CRTV's partnership, which we're excited to get started Come Monday, 12 p.m. Eastern Time, if you want to listen to us live, if you uh, would like to do that, uh, The Blaze Radio has us. Also, if you would uh, like to watch us live, you can you can find us on Dish. I believe Verizon Fios has uh, The Blaze as, as an add-on channel, or just do it the good old-fashioned way, On Demand. Is that old-fashioned now? Yeah, that's old-fashioned now. On demand via the Blaze Premium. If you already have a CRTV subscription, which I know a lot of you do, uh, you can catch the show a little bit later on demand as well at CRTV.com/slash Dace. Uh, Steve, as I said, uh, we had a really jam-packed um, production schedule today, so he had to take off before he was able to do the podcast. So Todd and I are sitting in, and uh, we thought we would uh, take a little bit of a break from the Colossians Bible study, which we've been doing on Theology Thursday. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. But Todd, we just wrapped up production on today's CRTV show. Anything you want to promote? Oh, you know, it's uh, the standard crazy that we always uh, talk about these days. Um, you know, journalism is certainly magical uh, and uh, not at all broken. Uh, we are left at a loss for words oftentimes because if we just start talking about the utterly obvious in the tank hackery of journalism, we would never shut up. Yeah. Um, Steve today on Fake News or Not introduces you to a new term. It's really not a new term, though. It's just a different term for an old, old concept. One that's, uh, well, literally as old as time, it seems like. Um, so you want to catch that on the Steve Day Show today, CRTV.com slash Dace. You can use promo code still, CRTV.com, promo code Dace as well. Well, for Theology Thursday today, we're going to change it up a little bit. Steve is gone, but you'll still get to hear from him. About a month ago, he gave a speech at the Family Leadership Summit here in Iowa that's put on every year by the Family Leader, a great organization led by our Bob Vanderplatz, who joins us every Monday on the TV show. And he gave a speech there. And, um, you know, the audience, primarily people who are driven by their faith, I would say, Todd. And so, and, and, and a lot of pastors in the room as well. And with that in mind, Steve delivered this message that we're going to play for you. It's about 20 minutes long, and uh, Todd and I have not listened to it yet, so we're going to be listening listening to it for the first time along with you. And uh, without further ado, here's Steve Dace's speech at the Family Leadership Summit oh, about a month ago. Good morning. 
I understand there are a lot of pastors in the room this morning, and uh, my message here this morning is especially for you, but if you're not a pastor, you can listen in too if you want, okay? But to, to, you, the, to those of you that are pastors, you know, you get your people on Sundays, I kind of get them the rest of the week, and the message I want to give to you is from my interactions with your people, a missing link in their worldview that they need you to fill, because um, we need to be people who understand the times we are in and what to do about them. We are about to enter a unique phase as Christians in America. In fact, we already have entered it. The opening salvos of this new phase have already begun. We have seen them in headlines, like what happened with Kim Davis a few years ago. It was a few years ago I sat on this stage at Ted Cruz's Religious Liberty Rally with a lot of national media in this room, and we had a panel of people right up here, the Kelvin Cochran's, the Baronel Stutzman's, who had been targeted for their faith, and I remember speaking to so many people in mainstream media back in 2016 who thought these stories were made up. They weren't true, or 2015, until they had to sit here and listen to their stories. And their stories are only compounding now. And when I first realized we aren't perhaps equipped to confront this new phase, I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine, who I think is one of the best evangelists and apologists in American Christendom and has a fantastic radio show. And he used to do a weekly stint on my program, and he came on uh, during the Kim Davis affair. And I was stunned at what he told me. He told me that he thought Kim Davis should have just resigned. That if she didn't want to do the job that was entailed of her as an office holder, she should just resign. And it blew me away that he thought, and this is a guy I'd put his intellect and his quick-wittedness up against anybody in this room, including mine. And if you know me, you know I love me some me, okay? I'm pretty proud of my quick-witted intellect. So that is a huge step for me to say, I'm not sure I can hold this guy's jockstrap. And yet I was stunned to hear him say that the way to honor her oath of office, which ends with which words? Which words ends an oath of office in America? So help me God. And he thought the way for her to honor her oath of office, so help me God, was to not uphold her oath of office, but to run from it instead. A few years ago, I was at National Religious Broadcasters with... Uh, the former head of a major national Christian organization, one I actually am willing to work with. And because they're committed to winning. And, you know, winning isn't, let's just elect a bunch of Republicans and lose slower. Winning is like, let's actually advance what we believe. And he was about to be retired. He was about to retire. And it was the last day of NRB in Nashville. And he's you know, a good 25, 30 years older than me. And he looked at me as we sat down there outside of the main hall, and he just kind of sighed, and he said, Steve, I, I'm not ready for this. He goes, there's a huge challenge for my generation. And I said, what's that? And he said, the huge challenge for my generation is that these institutions that were delivered to us here in America by previous, institu- by previous generations are now targeting us. They're being used against us. And I feel this tension, this tension between I want to go to war with these people culturally, I want to fight for my heritage as an American, 
but yet I'm called to love my neighbor as I love myself. I, I have to remember the words of Christ at the cross, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. My main calling is to reach them with the gospel, that this isn't a battle against flesh and blood. This is a, a battle against a spiritual stronghold, and they have the wrong worldview. And so how do we walk this fine line between contending for our heritage as Americans, but at the same time understanding that the reason we're contending for our heritage as Americans is because the Christian church has largely abrogated its authority and responsibility in the culture. And politics will not defeat a bad worldview. Only a good worldview will. Politics will not defeat a bad theology. Only a good theology will. And he was really struggling with, can we walk and chew gum at the same time? How do we do these things? And this was prior to the 2012 election that him and I had this conversation. I don't know how many of you have been paying attention recently, but I don't think this challenge has gotten any easier, easier as of late. Amen? It's gotten harder. And I think one of the reasons it's gotten harder is because there's a missing message in our pulpits. Well, there's a lot of missing messages in our pulpits. That's a whole other conference. But in particular for today, I want to address one. And I'm a big football fan, as many of you know, so I like game planning. I like strategy. I like watching film. I like watching how the other team plans to beat you and then coming up with a tactical paradigm to counter it. But for this paradigm I'm going to introduce to you to work, we have to change our own paradigm. We're going to have to decide, we're going to have to choose ye this day whom you will serve. Is the most important thing the next election or is the most important thing the next generation? See, we're out there talking about what the current economic growth rate is. We're out there talking about unemployment numbers. They're out there talking about justice, transformation. Watched a clip of Van Jones on CNN the other night. He's talking about hope and renewal. Whose language is that, by the way? That's our language. They're using it now. Colin Kaepernick is out there doing ads where if you use the exact same script and handed it to Tim Tebow, you wouldn't have to change a word. He is saying, hey, gamble on greatness have a priority higher than material gain and worth. Be willing to sacrifice for what you believe in. Whose message is that? That is ours. See, what's happened is the enemy has gone from hiding who they are, and they've now moved to actually, he's showing you who he is. And now that he's showing you who he is, he's about to take from you what belongs to you and claim it as his. Unless we understand the chain of command. So what I'm going to propose today is that we look at Romans 13 differently. Not a new teaching. Bob didn't invite Rob Bell to come and speak this morning, okay? Not a new teaching, but the actual teaching. What it actually says. Not what we think it says, not what we want it to say, but what it actually says. Romans 13, verse 1. Let every, let me stop right there. What does every mean in the original Greek, do you guys think? What's every mean? I kind of think it means every. Yeah. Uh, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Paul will answer this question why next. He says, for there is no authority, no, most, some, that's really bad, no authority. What do you think no means in the original Greek? No. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities, resist what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. 
Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then Paul says to do what is good, and you will receive the ruler's approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Many of our fights today we are having, organizations like this are having, organizations like Alliance Defending Freedom are having, are fights over conscience. It's almost like the Bible, like, knows stuff, guys. (laughs) For because of this, you also pay taxes For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. And then there's this. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. We're going to come back to those final words in a second. But you have to understand for our founding fathers, the first couple verses of this chapter were a big point of contention. Every one of the 13, well, all but one of the 13 colonies was originally started by a faction of the Christian church. And you had some denominations like Quakers and others who looked at this verse, looked at these chapters and said, we cannot rebel against King George. He is an authority instituted by God. To do so would be to rebel against God and he will not bless this effort. And they had to hash this out from a worldview standpoint. One of the ways they hashed it out is Thomas Jefferson, when he writes the Declaration of Independence, when he writes it out, he lists a long train of abuses. I believe it's 27 grievances that he lists. Why do you think he listed them? And how did he list them in the way that he did? And why does it have the preamble that says, hey, these are the laws of nature and nature's God. We are called to live by these laws. He says, these are the laws men are called to live by. And the enforcement of these laws is why governments are instituted among men. And then he lists all the ways, 27 of them, I think it is, that King George III had violated those laws of nature and nature's God. He has to make the case to his fellow countrymen, his fellow colonials, that this is a justifiable act. That the king's actions are so wicked and so evil that he has now declared himself, he has so violated God's law that King George III has now declared himself to, in effect, be God. And to obey King George III would be to fail the choice that the early church was given when they were told the choice is yours, Christos Curios or Kaiser Curious. Choose this day whom you will serve. And what was that choice? Jesus is Lord or Caesar is Lord. And King George III, the founders made the argument, was imposing this edict upon them, just as Caesars of the past did so upon Polycarp. The church fathers, as we'll learn in a second, they did so upon Paul. That's the case Jefferson is making. That they're actually obeying God's word by rebelling against the earthly authority because the earthly authority is in rebellion from their divine mandate. And to obey King George III would put them in alignment with King George III who is in opposition to Almighty God. That's why they listed every one of those usurpations. Thomas Jefferson is a lawyer. He is making a case, building it by the preponderance of the evidence. Who else do we know that we just quoted from that was also a lawyer and often intellectually built cases by the preponderance of the evidence? 
Paul. So what do these words mean? Do they mean, as John MacArthur taught for many years, that anything the state tells you to do, you have to obey, and the American Revolution was a sin? Is that what it means? Does it mean that any time the state ticks us off, we get to rebel? Does it mean that? Does it mean we're zealots, revolutionaries? Does it mean we're compliant, flaccid? I know we love our false binary choices in 21st century America. That's America's favorite religion nowadays. False binary choices. You want your kneecap blown off or you want to be beheaded? Which cancer? Choose the one and you must choose or you just hate everybody. That's all we do to each other all day long in America today is impose impose false binary choices. Choose the level of suck you want. And if you don't want my level of suck, you suck and you're terrible. That's what we do. You hate America. You're a fake Christian. That's what we do all day long. Fake choices. The problem with that is Jesus says to us, I give you a new commandment. I give you a new covenant. I just read out of a book that is from the New Testament. All of us in this room represent a different way, a new way. We do not conform to the thoughts and patterns of this world. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that transformation that happens within us then helps to transform the world around us. Paul wrote those words as well in this very same book in the chapter preceding this one. So when Paul says... Respect to those who are owed respect. Honor to those who are owed honor. What did he mean? Well, I guess we'll just kind of sit here and guess. Nope. We know what Paul meant because we saw the way that he lived these words out. See, Caesar asked Paul for an honor that was not owed to him. Caesar demanded of Paul a tribute That was not owed of him. In fact, Caesar wasn't content with respect and honor at all. He wanted allegiance. He wanted worship. Because the state always wants worship. It's the observation of Chesterton. Whenever the government removes the God, the government will then become the God. This is the oldest satanic trick in the book. Worship the state. You go through the Old Testament, and it's interesting, some of the ancient kings the Israelites had to fight, they put before their name Baal-something. Who was Baal? False god, demon in the Old Testament. And here are the pagan kings that the Israelites are conquering, claiming Baal as a designation, meaning they're emissaries, ambassadors for Baal, the way you and I are supposed to be ambassadors for Christ. See, there's a word we have forgotten. And as I get older, I am learning to love this word, especially now that I have teenagers. It is now my favorite word. Sometimes I say it just because I like the way it sounds coming out of my mouth. And that word is no. Nope. And I'm not going to yell, and I'm not going to scream, and I'm not going to cuss, and I'm not going to, I'm just going to simply tell you no. The civil rights movement was kicked into high gear because one day a 29-year-old Baptist seamstress got on a bus and she didn't blog. She didn't file a lawsuit. She simply said, no. Nope. No. Kim Davis simply said, 
No. See, the reason why the enemy is encroaching on your territory now and claiming your values and your ideals and your talking points for himself is because you and I won't say no. We are at the point that there is no false choice the culture could give us politically that we would say no to. We will find some way to game plan it out, rationalize it, justify it, etc. There's no choice. And those who say no, we will condemn them, actually. Even one of our leading apologists in the country will come on my radio show, and I love this man, he's a dear friend. And this was the most heated argument we had. But even he said, sometimes, you know, we we can't stand and tell the culture no. No, we're here to tell the world no. That's one of the reasons we're here. And so when Paul would not offer Caesar the respect and the honor Caesar wanted, not what he was owed, because Paul paid his taxes, he was a Roman citizen, he claimed his civil liberties to get a a fair trial when he was falsely accused of a crime. He used his citizenship as a free person in the closest form to a republic that we've had prior to our own. He used it to his advantage. He didn't give up his rights as a citizen. He didn't make him a Mennonite and just live out in the middle of nowhere. Although right now, that's looking like a pretty good option. But eventually, Caesar pushed Paul to the point where the man who said, I am all things to all people so that I may save some of them, realized this one, this marriage could not be saved. And Paul said, no. And Caesar said, you know what? I really respect plurality and divert. No, no, he cut his head off. And that's why we won't say no. Peter emulates these very words in one of his epistles later in the scriptures, almost verbatim. And what did he mean by them? Well, Peter was crucified upside down. Why? Because Caesar also asked of Peter for honor and respect. He was not owed. Pastors, you need to equip your people to know when to say no. Because the enemy is on offense. He is pressing his advantage. He is out there in full red unitard and pitchfork. No camouflage. He is brazen. He is having his way with your congregations and families. And then when he's done, he looks at you and says, you got anything to drink? I'm kind of thirsty. This has been hard work. He has no fear whatsoever of any of us in this room. Why? Because we are trying to fight him the world's way through a political party through our rationalizations, through our achievements, through our accomplishments. And I'm really not trying to do a Paul Washer impersonation, but sometimes it works. There's one thing he can't beat. And that is the power of a man on fire with the word of God. And that word today is no. Do your worst. We will not comply. Why do we remember, why do we remember Polycarp's name? Because he said no. We don't remember the names of those who said yes. They are lost to history and maybe to eternity. History and eternity are won by those who looked at the world and said no. So here's my big idea here this morning. 
I sit up here and pace back and forth to get my steps in for the last 20 minutes because I couldn't work out today because I had to come and do this, okay? And I did all of this to say one thing. Teach your people when to say no. We have told this world and this culture yes way too often. It is time to start saying no. Thank you. So there's Steve's speech at the Family Leadership Summit uh, here in our backyard just about a month ago. Todd, um, that, that's the first time you and I have heard that. We just listened to it live along with uh, all of you for the first time as well, too. Todd, you're, um, you're a pastor or um, uh, a priest, uh, somebody who leads a congregation or a parish, uh, and you're listening to that you're sitting in the audience and you're listening to that message and maybe it's um what what's you're you're a typical you're a typical pastor or parish leader what's your reaction after after listening to that well a typical pastor in general, I think might be different from a typical pastor who might attend that event I mean because I was going to say he's probably saying, "What the heck am I doing here yeah the typical pastor might be saying, oh, easy for you to say. You want to see half my flock walk out the door? Um, in which case, if they actually said that to Steve, Steve said, yeah. I mean, that that's a version you of what we... don't have a flock. That's yeah. A, yeah, you don't you don't have a flock in the truly biblical sense if you aren't going to... Uh, if you're afraid of feeding them uh, solid food. Or the only reason they're there is because they know they're not going to get uh, a solid food. Listen, I, I when he... The ability for people to say no to things depends entirely on what they're saying yes to. Yes. And I've got a sad, chilling, frustrating, maddening example in my own life in terms of uh, my eldest daughter is now a freshman in high school, and she is beginning year one of a um, not quite two-year-long cycle of being confirmed in the Catholic Church, which is, you know, it, it is one of our... Uh, seven sacraments and it is akin to becoming a spiritual adult it is assenting to your faith um as an adult and i have my wife and i are uh we don't simply just take what's given to us within our own parish in terms of uh we we look throughout the entire diocese on uh programs uh that we think are going to be the most edifying for our children are uh, they once they've no longer been in catholic school we've enrolled them in one that draws people from across uh, the uh entire uh, uh city but that stops at eighth grade and they don't have their own confirmation program so uh, we got involved in one. Uh, the priest is uh, one we uh, very much like. Um, he's uh, orthodox uh, and courageous in his uh, orthodoxy. Um, but this program, they, my my daughter's been in now uh, for three uh, weeks, and she's coming back and telling us about how uh, the kids, uh, she's just surrounded by kids that openly say they're only there because their parents made them and some of them aren't even believers anymore uh, and i don't listen i i don't have any answers to where else to go in terms of a formal process i mean we might ultimately just pull them out and simply have to say um you know you can't either you you all do better 
but I'm not going to subjugate my uh, uh, my children to this. Uh, perhaps I'll update you on that at some point. But my point being, uh, these 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 kids are never these people are never going to be able to say no to anything if they don't know what to say yes to. They're going to say yes to absolutely all the wrong things, uh, whether they are convicted to do so affirmatively or they are simply uh, built up to be cowards that in no way are capable of bearing a cross of any weight whatsoever. You know, listening to all that, uh, as Steve goes along, Aaron, that's the, the cup from which we drink on a daily basis. Oh, yeah. That's what yeah. we do. I've heard that a hundred different times. Um, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm never bored of it. Um, but the simple fact of the matter is, is that the number of excuses uh, that so-called people of faith give themselves, and I start, I, I go back to the parents of the children who have the kids enrolled in this process. At some point, Somebody needs to tell those parents, no, the church says, you know, we're not, we're not confirming your children. It's not, this is not your right. They're not prepared. You have not prepared them adequately. But that, that, that I guarantee you, most of those kids are going to march through this program. They're going to get confirmed. It's going to be largely a lie. And I'm wide open to the work of the Holy Spirit to cast aside every word I just said, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm asked to have uh, not only be uh, uh, innocent as a dove, but wise as a serpent, and I just see a lot of slithering around. And Steve's just saying there's n- there is no there's a re- that that's the reason why you don't hear no. That's the reason I have to stand up on this stage in the first place and have this conversation with you. This should be. What he said on there should be beating the dead horse in the extreme. I mean, every pastor's worth their salt should be saying, dude, like, tap out after five minutes of that. This is what we do every day. Why are you telling me this? But they they don't do that. Um, and they know that they have to sit there and listen to that because it's true. Yeah. Yeah, it's well said. And, um, you know, I think one of the best examples of of saying no ever Probably the best. Uh, get behind me, Satan. I think that's a pretty, yeah. pretty effective way. And that was to a disciple. <laughs> that was to um, that was to a friend. And that is, uh, I, I. There are so many, there are so many wrong ideas about what the Christian faith looks like in America. And almost all of them, Todd. I don't know if you, but your example is one of them. All of them point back to people just wanting to look good on uh, on the outside. Yeah. We, uh, I have to have a large congregation. If you're a pastor, I have to have a large congregation because look at the, look at this building. Also, I just you know I need that I need that ego boost as well because large numbers automatically mean that I'm doing God's work and just all of these outward focused priorities we have in the church, and it's why we have so many people. Almost, I mean. <laughs> I mean, there's there's not going to be a whole lot of people, guys, um, who really take up their cross. We're told that um, in 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 scripture, and it, this is a message that is for the few, not because we have some sort of special knowledge 
not not that at all. We're not Gnostics here, but because this is this, I mean, it's it's a hard message. It's a hard, um, it's a hard way of life, and that the path is so narrow. And there are, I mean, we just know there are going to be very few people who are capable of saying no, whether it be to whether you're a Calvin Cochran or a Baronel Stutzman who have a huge case, or whether or not you're a parent who has a kid in school with a teacher who's spewing junk every day that has nothing to do with it. Whatever it is, there are going to be very few. Whatever your no moment is, um, boy, that sounded like a, a really trendy pastor, something a, a trendy pastor would call a sermon. But no, whatever whatever that is for you, or or me, or anyone, there are going to be very few people who are actually capable of saying that. But the more people who actually identify as a Christ follower, who have um, who have the ability and the uh, you know the spiritual conviction uh, to do that, I think the better off we're going to be. And I don't mean this country; I just mean that our, our the health of our souls. I say this over and over again. We say this over and over again. We harp on this over and over again. The only thing that's going to save us from ourselves is revival. Coming alive again. Not for the sake of saving this hunk of land between two oceans, but for the sake of saving souls. Because we have a lot of souls, a lot of them are sitting in the same pews as you, who are in dire danger right now. That should be our focus. And I think that's that's the message I think that we heard, and that's the message that you hear hopefully every day on this show. Any final thoughts, Todd? Well, um, I'm I'm I like the language you choose there in terms of uh, the danger uh, we are currently reckoning with, and ultimately what's at stake is in fact uh, the saving of souls. It is very challenging. While I, while we talk about the power of saying no, talking with my daughter last night about how how challenging it is for me as her father to, you know, when when how do I lead you through this? Uh, what possibility is there of you being a light in the darkness by staying a part of this? Versus, at what point right. do we simply? call this uh the satan get behind me moment Mm -hmm. and seek to burn it all down um i'm i'm right there uh of uh in the midst of having to choose that at least for my daughter in this particular decision and i i don't i i'm genuinely at a loss for words in terms of my my sympathy for the world i'm handing over to my children what 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 a ridiculous ridiculous notion to have to pass off to them that the the essence of the truth that i believe in is so utterly drunken at the moment that I'm not sure short of what I can do as her father and her mother can do as her mother, that any extension beyond that is incapable of helping her realize 
realizing that making it her own as adult it's it is a sign of how wicked the times have become we should never fool ourselves apart that and thus the the language we need to use for ourselves uh is truly must be that we are warriors for christ this is we need to be the church militant we are in the middle not for the first time and to some extent the war never goes away but the war is as ratcheted up as ever and souls are being lost minute by minute well, we'll be back tomorrow for the Dace Group Roundtable. Steve will be gone, still uh, traveling as he is, uh, but it'll be myself, Todd, Chris Pandolfo, and uh, Rob Eno will be uh, joining us for the uh, Dace Group Roundtable. Won't want to miss it. It's tomorrow. Until then, John 317. Steve Dace.